heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having on the line Clint Arthur. Clint, are you there? I'm here and excited to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. I know we were just chatting before we got on the call. Where are you calling in from today? I saw the bat signal over Acapulco Bay this morning, and I knew it was time for my interview with Richard Matthews. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like, I've heard of Acapulco, and, and you were telling me the water is really warm there, and it's just not here in Southern California, so maybe I'm going to have to come down and visit there at some point. Is this where your, your bio picture is at? Is, on, is that Acapulco? If it's a tropical picture of me in a pool, that would be me in the pool, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, so are you, um, are you a, uh, a Mexican citizen or a U.S. citizen, which um, if you live there in, in Mexico? I am a citizen of New York City, where I was born and raised. I grew up in midtown Manhattan. When I was always dedicated to academic pursuits because my dad threatened me that if I did not get into the top math, science, specialized admissions required high school in New York City, that he was going to bust me up to a high school in Harlem. I was gonna be the only little white kid there and I was gonna get my butt kicked every single day. So I studied and studied. And while I was at Stuyvesant High School, I found out about this thing called, I found out two real life-changing things. Number one, there's this thing called the Wharton Business School, the best business school in the world. And I found it in the encyclopedia. It was a real thing. And I made up my mind when I was 14 that I was going to go to the best business school in the world. That really accelerated my pursuit of academic excellence. The other life-changing thing that happened to me was my creative writing teacher. We had a, an elective that I could elect to take. Instead of regular English, I could take creative writing with Frank McCourt. And Frank McCourt, whom I studied creative writing with for junior and senior year of high school, went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for his memoir, Angela's Ashes, about his impoverished childhood in Ireland. And he inspired me and everyone who studied with him to want to be writers. And after graduating from the Wharton Business School, I, I went home to get the Attaboys. And instead of congratulations and hugs and kisses, my parents just got into the hugest fight of all time. They were always fighting, but this was the biggest one. My dad storms out of the apartment and slams the door. I turn to my mom and I say, mom, you know, the way he resents you all these years, have you been cheating on dad? I'm sitting on the couch thinking to myself, holy cow, where did that question come from? I never thought that idea in my whole entire life. And then I'm thinking, what kind of a rude son of a gun asked his own mom a question like that? And then I'm thinking, why ain't she answering the question? And then she goes, he's not your real father. Your real father was a doctor at the fertility clinic we went to for six years trying to have you and you look just like that guy. Imagine. 
how you <laughs> would feel if everything you thought you knew about who you really, really were. Poof. And not only didn't I know who I was anymore, but I sure as heck didn't know about wanting to be an investment banker anymore. So I call up the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center. I get the vice president on the phone. Thank you, sir. I'm decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore, even though I've been going for that at Wharton my whole four years. And what did I do? Naturally, I move out to Hollywood and I went out there to find myself. Most people go there to Hollywood to lose themselves. I found myself becoming someone very special as I wrote 30 screenplays and went auditions and chased the Hollywood dream for 13 years, I found myself becoming the Wharton Business School taxi driver. I drove a cab in Hollywood for six years. And that really, you know, you, you're gonna ask me about my kryptonite later on. That's part of my kryptonite, okay? But, uh, you know, I, I am a writer. That's, that's probably one of my strengths. One of my real strengths is writing. And yeah, yeah. So what I... But I quit writing. I quit writing. After all of that, I said, why am I chasing a dream that's never going to happen? Why have I written all these screenplays? I also wrote 10 books during that time, one of which was the big book of the summer for Penguin USA in 1995. And, I, and that's when I became a taxi driver, right after the big book of the summer for 1995. That's crazy. Yeah. So what I wanted to do before we got um, too far into your story was just do a brief introduction so my audience knows who you are. <laughs> and uh, we got we got we got a bit of your story already. But anyways, Clint Arthur is the provocative truth telling author of 21 best selling books, including Celebrity Entrepreneurship, Breakthrough Your Upper Limits on TV and Wisdom of Men, which is nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and you're a speaker. You've shared stage with Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Suzanne Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice-T, five presidents of the U.S. at Harvard, West Point, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, AT&T, NASDAQ, the London Stock Exchange, and the Royal Society of Medicine. True, so anyways, true. you do coaching all over the place um, from little companies to big giant ones. Um, and you, you've got your own coaching program called, what is it, Millionaire Business Accelerator? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So I guess... The, we, we just heard a little bit of your story, but what I wanted to find out from you is what is it that you're known for, right? So what's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? I am the celebrity entrepreneur. It's really fascinating. When I was starting out as a coach, author, speaker, I was taking seminars to try to figure out how to become somebody who could sell books and seminar tickets and actually make money from helping people with my gifts. And one of the mentors I studied with said, okay, if you could dominate any one Google search term, what would it be? And I put down entrepreneur. Now I've not been able to dominate entrepreneur, but along the way of learning how to be somebody who people want to pay a lot of money to, to study with, to get help from, for my books, seminars, products, etc., I realized that you need to be a celebrity in the eyes of customers and prospects or clients and prospects. And I am the celebrity entrepreneur. I, in the eyes of my clients and prospects, I am somebody. Like for example, do you know who Tony Robbins is? Yes. Everybody knows who Tony Robbins is, right? Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, know anyone who doesn't know who Tony Robbins is, so. I, I will show you video after video after video on my iPhone 
of all different kinds of people from all walks of life saying, Tony who? Because only his clients and prospects know who Tony Robbins is. If you're not into self-help, personal development, and going to seminars, you have no idea who Tony Robbins is. But if you do know who he is, then you probably have paid him a lot of money, like I have. Like, for example, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, I got an email from Tony's people, and it said, if you donate $25,000 to Tony's charity, his favorite charity, then you could be the host of his 60th birthday party at the Microsoft Theater in Hollywood. And you know what? It took me less than 60 seconds to click the button and donate $25,000 to Tony's favorite charity. Would I do that if I didn't think he was somebody? Would I do that if I was saying Tony who? No, but that's the power of celebrity entrepreneurship. And to my clients, I am a celebrity entrepreneur. I help them become celebrity entrepreneurs. I am known for celebrity entrepreneurship, part of which is getting on TV news and talk shows. And I am the one and only and, and greatest teacher of how to book yourself on TV news and talk show interviews. That's really crazy. So what I want to find out is how you got there. I know we heard we heard from childhood up to getting into a taxi. So every good comic book hero has their origin stories, the thing that made them into the hero they are that are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero or, you know, bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to uh, get into celebrity entrepreneurship? Essentially, how did you go from, you know, Wharton Business School to taxi driver to author to celebrity entrepreneur? After six years of driving the cab, 13 years of chasing the dream, the first seven years, I was just pyramiding my credit cards until I maxed them all out. Then I started driving a cab to survive. And at the end of that, I said, I'm never going to write again. It's just not worth it. And for the, for the next, that was in like 2001. And for the next eight years, all I did was focus on making money. I was in the gourmet food distribution business. I started dabbling in real estate. That became a really good hobby of mine. And I just got fat and happy. I met a beautiful woman. She believed in me more than I believed in myself. And we got fat and happy together. And it came to be uh, October 2008. You know, the world was crumbling at that point. Yeah. I was at a men's self-help campfire. And the shaman pointed to me across the yellow and orange crackling flames of the fire. And he said, you don't know it yet, but you're already dead. What do you mean, man? I'm the most successful guy on this team. Eight years ago, I was driving a cab. Now I'm a millionaire. I was living on a little boat. Now I live in a mansion. You're already dead. You just don't know it. And I didn't know what the heck that guy was talking about, but I could not stop thinking about what the shaman said. I would wake up in the middle of the night out of sound sleep for months and months and months. I'm already dead. What does he mean? And it came to be New Year's Day of 2009, and I pulled out a pad and a pen to write down my list of goals for the year, as I had become accustomed to doing once I started becoming successful as a businessman, instead of struggling to try to become a writer or an actor or a filmmaker. And I asked myself a question inspired by the shaman. I said, what if that guy is right? What if I am already dead? And I just don't know it. I didn't understand what that meant yet. But then I followed up and said, or what if this was going to be the last year of my life? If this was going to be the last year of my life, what would I want to accomplish? And the crazy thing jumped out of my pen onto the pad. I need to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School that 
help me to become successful once I stop trying to become a film person, a movie star. And I wrote that book in 18 days. I self-published it on Amazon and waited for the sales to roll in. And boy, did they ever. Man, when you got a book like, like that book, it's called What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School. Man, that year, I must have sold eight copies. Eight. That's a lot. Yeah, a lot of copies. And I started seeking out mentorship. And one of the mentors I sought out was a man named Jack Canfield, who wrote a little book you might have heard of called Chicken Soup for the Soul. I said, yeah. Jack, how do you sell half a billion books? He says, you got to become somebody. You can't be a nobody. People don't buy books from nobodies. You got to go on TV and become a celebrity. And that's when I hired my first publicist. I said, I don't care what it costs. I just want you to get me on the Today Show. She laughed at me. When she stopped laughing, she goes, that's the funniest thing I ever heard, Clint. You, you're a middle-aged guy nobody's ever heard of. You got a self-published book nobody's ever bought. You got no TV experience. They're never going to put you on today's show. You got to go on local TV. I said, oh, local TV, great. I'm from New York City. Get me on my local hometown stations. And when she stopped laughing at me the second time, she said, Clint, I think I got you figured out. You're not really a business author. You're a freaking comedian because that's the second hysterically funny thing you said to me in 30 seconds. They're not going to put you on NBC New York or Fox New York. That's the same as national TV. That's the number one market in America. You got to go on little tiny shows. And I said, what do you mean? Like Salt Lake City, Utah? She goes, don't forget your long underwear. Because my first appearance on TV was in Salt Lake City, Utah, January 23rd, 2010. And I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know what I was going to do. I... I sucked on TV. I thought I would be really great and I'd be on the Today Show the next day, but I was terrible. So I had her book me on three more shows. I paid her $1,500 for each of those appearances. And when it was over, I showed the videos to my wife and I said, honey, what do you think? And she said, I think you suck. <laughs> and I, thought, <laughs> I said, you're right, I, I do. I need a lot more practice if I'm ever gonna achieve my goal of getting on the Today Show and sharing my message and I said, I'm gonna hire this lady to put me on 10 more shows. And my wife goes, whoa, 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 10 shows. That'd be like $15,000 more. Why do you keep paying this lady? Why don't you book yourself on these shows? And I'm like, what? How do you book yourself on shows? That was another great question. And that night I woke up. I, see, I'm, I'm willing to do the work. See, I'm willing to go knock my head against brick walls for 13 years chasing the Hollywood dream. You don't think I'm gonna figure out how to book myself on TV? I did. It only took me nine and a half weeks to book my first TV appearance. But when I did, it was like catching a fish. And my first year I booked, uh, I booked, I booked seven myself plus the four I paid her for. That was 11. My second year, I booked 20 myself. And my 32nd appearance was on NBC New York. My 57th appearance was on the Today Show. And Brooke Shields interviewed me and said, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, when it's scary, it's when it's great. And Willie Geist was also interviewing me. And he says, you know, you ask yourself a question every year that helps you to be so successful. What's that question? I said, ask yourself if this was gonna be the last year of your life, 
what would you want to accomplish? That has been my superpower. I said that on the Today Show. That has been my superpower that has enabled me to accomplish so much so quickly. Wow, that is a, an incredible story um, going from, you know, essentially a, a nobody to basically turning yourself into a celebrity. Um, and so we'll get into your superpower a little bit more in a, in a second, but when it comes to like the actual journey of learning how to book yourself on television, I have a couple of questions. One, um, is that a skill that you teach people? And two, how has that actually impacted your career? Um, like what you looked like before in your book sales and like what that does to your career now. One of those books you, you read about in my introduction, Break Through Your Upper Limits on TV. That's a book about how to book yourself on TV news and talk shows. I also offer a seminar, which is called Celebrity Launchpad, which you can find out about at guaranteedcelebrity.com. I just did my 51st seminar of Celebrity Launchpad. Celebrity Launchpad number 51 was this past weekend. And the average attendee at that event booked themselves on 7.4 TV appearances during the weekend. So my students cool. have booked themselves on more than 5,647 television appearances that I'm aware of so far, including on every show in America, the Today Show, Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, CNN, Fox News, everything. We've been on it all, and I've been on most of them. As far as what that does for you, you know, the houses are great, the cars are great, the international travel is great, but really what's so amazing is what it does for you on a personal level. And I know people take that for granted. You take the personal for granted until you got a lot of money, and then you know, you're wishing you had friends, you're wishing you had a life that you enjoyed. But the best part about what celebrity really can do for you is that when I achieved my goal of being on the Today Show, the next morning, I woke up and I said to my wife, you know what, I, I can't believe it, but I'm, I feel like I'm finished drinking alcohol. And that was eight plus years ago. And I realized that what getting on the Today Show, what becoming a celebrity, becoming somebody, making a difference, having my unique impact on the world took me to the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is significance, self-actualization. And as a result of that, of becoming somebody, I no longer felt like I needed to drink. And that has been one of the greatest gifts of my entire life. I know what it used to be like when I would wake up hungover almost every day, when I would wake up feeling like I was less than I could be because I was still impaired, drunk or foggy, whatever. And I'm not saying that drinking alcohol is a terrible thing. In my book, what they teach you at the Wharton Business School, I said, one of the things you should learn is you should learn about wine. You should learn about the great things in life that life has to offer and wine is one of them. And so is beer and so is tequila and so is scotch and all those things that I used to know a lot about and do a lot of. But suddenly I no longer felt the desire to do that. And when I got introduced to sobriety, 
I experienced what they call in AA, the rocket ride. I'm not an AA person, but I wrote a book with an AA person one time who talked about the rocket ride. Ever since I stopped drinking alcohol, I have a lot more free time that I used to spend on my favorite hobby, which was drinking. And instead of drinking that time away, I work. And that has made me a lot more successful. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, I've never really been one much for alcohol myself, but the uh, I did over the last couple of years teach myself um, with some friends how to actually enjoy a glass of wine. <laughs> so when you go out to a nice business dinner or you're with friends or something like that for a celebration, you can order a drink and know how to drink it and know how to enjoy it. So I, I understand that, that, that side of it. Um, but yeah, that's a, um, I, I could definitely see how learning to remove inebriation from your life definitely can take a, uh, make a positive impact. It did in my case. I just hope that you have discovered Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. Have you discovered that? Um, I have not had Napa Cabernet Sauvignon, but my favorite wine is actually a, um, a champagne out of Temecula, um, which is where my hometown and there's a, uh, it's an almond champagne from, um, oh, what's the name of the winery? Uh, Wilson, Wilson Creek winery. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> do, do yourself a favor. Try a bottle of Napa Cabernet, ideally from the Alexander Valley. Okay. <laughs> I'll see if I, I can find one. I thank God that I discovered that wine and enjoyed it for a few years before I, ha I quit. That's all so I my, uh, my My interest um, in wine actually was changed a lot by a friend of mine who had a small winery. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, I don't like wine. And he was like, you don't like wine because you don't know how to taste wine. Like you don't know how to drink it. So he sat down with me for a couple of days and like he, he had like a hundred different wines in his cellar and he would bring out five a night and he would just like different things from light all the way to dark and just taught me how to drink them and like what to look for. And one of the things I discovered is that like anyone who doesn't know anything about wine, if you tell them you're like, oh, I don't really like wine, their thought is, well, then I'll give you a light wine because um, they're like, for whatever reason, like the white wines. And what I discovered during that whole process was like, I don't really like light wines or white wines. So anytime someone had given me a wine, they'd always give me those light ones and I don't like them. Oh, so I never really like progressed past like that. You'll but like I really like the darks. You'll yeah, like so I really, <laughs> um, but you find out I like, I like the red wines, um, but I, no one ever starts off with like, if you say, I don't like wine, they don't go like, here, try this really dry wet for red wine. Um, but apparently that's what I needed. <clears throat> hey, it's a big world of wine. There's a lot of great stuff out there. And I enjoyed it and I got a lot of value from it in my life. My wife and I, had a lot of rituals together. We would drink wine together almost every night. And, you know, she wasn't very happy when I decided to stop drinking, but that's what I did. And luckily I was able to hold true to myself. They say to thine own self be true. This is for me. For me, I prefer sobriety even to understanding alcohol and drinking as much as I did. I was a real connoisseur of all this stuff. And now I'm a connoisseur of sparkling water. I'm a connoisseur of just plain water myself. I, uh, I, I am a huge fan of just straight, flat, good water. <laughs> Amen. So I want to get back to your superpower, though, right? And every iconic hero has their superpower, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius. 
which is either a skill or a set of skills that they were born with or they developed over their life. Um, and it's that superpower is what helps or what sets them apart and allows you to help your people slay their villains in their life, come out on top of their own journeys. Um, and the way I like to frame it is if you look at all the skills that you developed over your life, your superpower is the common thread that ties all your skills together, right? Um, the thing that you see constantly coming back up and having an influence on what you do or how you've done it. Um, so with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? A couple. Communication is really the key. I'm a great writer, storyteller, wordsmith. I really was inspired by Frank McCourt. Even for, I mean, for all those years, writing 30 screenplays, that was because I knew that I was a writer because I was inspired by him. As a storyteller, I have used my storytelling abilities to dictate my book, Wisdom of the Men, which is my great life's masterpiece of all the smartest stuff that I learned from the most amazing people in the world, including international superstars like Dr. Oz, Mick Jagger, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Ringo Starr, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and five US presidents, five presidents of the United States whom I have personally met. You know anybody else who's met five US presidents? I don't know. So. I've met any of them. So, you know, you're at least five times ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 500% ahead of you or more. Yeah, yeah. In any case, that book was so easy for me to write after preparing to do it for seven years because I've been telling these stories as a speaker. See, I'm a writer, I'm a, a speaker, I'm a wordsmith, and I'm a person who is able to do hard work. That's another one of my superpowers is I'm not afraid of just sitting down and doing the work. And then lastly, my superpower would be asking myself real hard questions. Like if this was gonna be the last year of your life, what would you wanna accomplish? I, I, I really think all of those things are what help me to help my clients to do so well, because a lot of the work that I do with and for them is writing the stuff that they need, creating the marketing and the messaging that they need. And we do it in intense implementation events. I have implementation events like Celebrity Launchpad where they come and book themselves on TV, or I have another event coming up in Mexico City where they're gonna come and speak at the Mexican Stock Exchange and a major hospital in Mexico creating marketing videos with stories about their own lives that I'll write for them based on our conversations. I write their story. I set up the video shoots. I set up the locations because I understand that giving a speech in a Holiday Inn Express is a completely different speech than giving a speech at the Mexican Stock Exchange or at a major hospital. Where you give your speech makes a difference. And that's all part of the communication that I'm so yeah. expert at. And then rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. I sit down and do the work. Yeah, I, I always love it. We, we mentioned uh, Tony Robbins earlier. One of the things he's famous for is ask better questions, get better answers. Um, and, you know, that's the, the question you ask yourself is definitely a superpower style question. Um, and I, like to, to the, the hard work point, that's one of the things that I think makes it so there's um, the, way, the way it was phrased to me is there's no competition for real men anymore. Right. One of my mentors said that to me. And his point was, he was like that most people aren't willing to do the work. 100%. Um, and if you're willing to show up, 
And he's like, you, you like you could just show up half-assed every day for the rest of your life and you'd be far ahead of everyone else because most people don't even show up. You're really talking <laughs> my language. There's two things I want to address here. Number one is the hard work part. I became obsessed with this question of do rich people work hard? Because as a celebrity entrepreneur, I didn't know, should I let my clients and prospects know how hard I work? Or is that anti-celebrity? Is that against being a good celebrity? And I started seeking out the answer to that question. And I heard one of my mentors, I won his award of information marketer of the year. His name is Dan Kennedy. He's somebody, he's somebody in the information and direct, direct response. I mean, everyone knows him in the marketing space. Yeah. (laughs) I was his info marketer of the year. And I heard him say, rich people work hard. And I started asking people, I said, Martha Stewart, I had Martha speak at my conference at Carnegie Hall called Living Legends of Entrepreneurial Marketing. I said, Martha, do you think rich people work hard? She said, every self-made rich person I've ever met has been an extremely hard worker. Yes. Then I asked Ice-T, who is the, the actor who has been the longest running detective police officer character in the history of television on NCIS. I said, Ice, do you think rich people work hard? He goes, man, you'll be on the yacht party, partying on top of the yacht. And the guy who owns the boat, he'll be downstairs making business calls. Rich people work hard, very, very hard. And that is a key to success if you want to become wealthy and successful. Then the other part you said was about showing up. When I was a taxi driver, I found out that there was going to be a big party for my fraternity. Mm-hmm. I went to the Wharton Business School. All my fraternity brothers were millionaires, and some of them became billionaires after college. While I was driving yellow cab number 6087, I found out about this party. My dad and I are talking on the phone one day. He says, are you going to go to the party? I go, dad, I can't go to that party. They're all millionaires. I'm a cab driver. I can't go. He goes, I'll give you a plane ticket. I'll pay for the trip. You got to go. I'm like, I can't show up for that, dad. They're going to want to know what I'm up to. And I'm going to say I'm a yellow cab driver. No way. Fast forward years later, once I had become a celebrity entrepreneur and this same fraternity brother sponsors the same party like 10 years later at the Four Seasons restaurant on Park Avenue in New York City. I'm telling you, this party must have cost him $150,000 easy for this, for this party. And by that time, I had just been on the Today Show and I had a new business card with the screenshot of me on the Today Show. And I went to that party. And when I show up, there's Secret Service men wanding everybody down. You have to walk through the metal detector. Joe Biden was our special speaker at the party. His son, Bo Biden, the one who died of brain cancer, who was in the military, he was one of our fraternity brothers. And Joe Biden was there to also raise money for the Bo Biden Foundation. I stood six feet away from him And I shot a video, which is included with the bonus videos you get when you get wisdom of the men in any version. 
You get bonus videos of interviews I did with Dr. Oz, Martha Stewart, Suzanne Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice-T, Nigel Farage, who created Brexit, Dog the Bounty Hunter, and many more, and the Joe Biden video. And look, many people are anti-Joe Biden politics. This is not a political statement in any way. This statement about what I learned from Joe Biden was about showing up. If I didn't show up, I would not have met the president of the United States or a man who would become the president of the United States. I only met him because I was able to show up. And I know how hard it is to show up sometimes because what I've found is the people who cannot show up, it's not because they don't like you, it's because they don't like themselves. When you can't show up, it's because you don't like yourself and you're not happy with who you are. And if you wanna stop not showing up, you got to change who you are and become more of who you want to be so that you'll be proud to show up. Yeah. That's- and one of the things that, that has really stuck out to me about showing up, I remember one of the first times I went to a high level mastermind group where everyone else in the group was significantly farther along than I was. Right. And, you know, they always tell you, you got to hang out with people who are where you want to be, not where you are. Right. So I get myself into a room like that. And I remember in my head thinking, I was like, I'm like a little kid who's learning to swim. And I got into a room full of professional water polo players. Right. And I'm thinking like, I'm just going to get drowned in this room. And what you find out is that the professional water polo players are happy to take the elementary school kid and teach him how to swim. <laughs> right. Um, well, it depends. Depends on the rooms you're in. But um, it, the, the willingness to show up really has a big impact. Um, I, you and- know, look, in my world, with my students who come to me for mentorship, the secret is if you want it, I'm available. I answer my phone. I take calls from people. I love my clients. I love my students. And I'm happy to help the ones who really want to be helped. That's, that's the truth. But I'm not happy to help just anybody off the street. You got to be a client of mine. And you got to qualify to be a client. You got to be at a certain level. And that's usually pre, you know, determined by whether you can afford to come into the community of celebrity entrepreneurs, not everybody can, can join it because they're not ready to join it. And the, the indication is, can you afford a certain threshold to be able to enter? Yeah. But once you get in, I am happy to help people to progress because I'm com- creating a community of celebrity entrepreneurs. Why? Because everybody knows celebrities hang out with other celebrities. It's been going on since the beginning of time. You look at every picture of Adam and Eve, they're hanging out with the serpent. Why? Because he's the only other celebrity in the Garden of Eden. That's why, <laughs> because all celebrities hang out with other celebrities. Which, which I think I'm, actually is a really good point for the last thing I wanted to bring up about your superpowers, because you started off talking about communication and storytelling. Um, and one of the things I've noticed just in our conversation is your your use of fun analogies and um, and minute details that really bring a little bit of life to the stories. And storytelling is, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's probably the superpower of superpowers when it comes to working with other people. Because um, human beings are story-born people. Everything we do from our marketing to our sales to what we do with our kids to everything is all based on stories. And it's how we judge our relationships and everything. And so learning how to become a master storyteller is like, like it's one of those things that I think everyone should focus at least some of their time on. 100%. And I've been so fortunate to have in my life 
not only Frank McCourt as a mentor, but Academy Award-winning producer Arno Kobelson, who produced Platoon, which won Best Picture in 1987. He was my college roommate's father, and he was my mentor for a while in Hollywood. You can read about that in Wisdom of the Men. And I realized when I went to his funeral in 2018, when I was flying out to California, how much he had influenced my life because he was the greatest celebrity entrepreneur of all time. You probably have never heard his name. Most people don't know who Arnold Copelson was, but not only did he produce Platoon, he also produced Falling Down with Michael Douglas, The Fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves, Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger and a $100 million budget for Warner Brothers. In his time, Arnold Copelson was the king of Hollywood. No one knows who he was. That's celebrity entrepreneurship. Only his clients and prospects knew who he was. And who were they? The biggest movie stars in the world and 100 guys who ran the studios and the agents and managers for the movie stars. Maybe altogether, 300 people knew who Arnold Copelson was, but it allowed him to rise to the top of the most competitive industry in the world at the height of its competitiveness and to sell more than $3 billion of box office tickets during his reign as King of Hollywood. And then there's one more mentor who I've been very fortunate to have in my life and that's Oprah Winfrey. Hearing her story of how her parents met under an oak tree one time. And from that one meeting, Oprah Winfrey was born. Imagine how different the world would be if Oprah had not been there to help Barack Obama to become president of the United States, to help so many people to improve their lives, whether it was her book club or just asking questions that made people think and become better people. Oprah Winfrey, one of the richest people in the world, multi-billionaire, the result of a single meeting between two kids under an oak tree. And her power as a storyteller has been very impactful on my life as well. You're right, storytelling is the key. And that's why my main focus is promoting wisdom of the men and really becoming known as one of America's greatest storytellers and having people come to me for mentorship. And I love mentoring people about stories because all the teaching about story that I do helps me to understand story more. We teach what we want to learn. As much as I know how to tell stories, you can never be 100%. I always want to be greater. And my, my ambition is to become America's greatest storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, storytelling, like for me, has been something I've practiced for a long time. Everything from like, uh, my, my wife laughs at me because I'll watch a comedians on you know netflix or something like that and i don't watch them to laugh i watch them to take notes good for um, you. <laughs> comedians are the best you know how they just pop right into little act outs mm -hmm. and characters that's the key yeah. to it all it really is yeah and their transitions and the way they do callbacks and other things to bring people through the whole line of stuff it's all in it a lot of it that's practiced and it's flawless even the stuff that seems like it's not um is all practiced and really well done so anyways i love watching comedians to just get like to see what it is that they're doing behind the scenes 
you're a very smart guy, Richard Matthews. I haven't heard anybody else who studies comedians the way I do. And I recommend to my students to do that all yeah. the time. I've been, I've been recommending that to friends and family and anyone who communicates. I was like, and the people always think they laugh at me. I'm like, I'm like, if you want to become a better storyteller, make it a habit to sit down and watch comedians, but don't just watch them to laugh, watch what they're doing. <laughs> That's the problem. Everybody just wants to sit back and be entertained and they don't really analyze what's going on but comedians are super smart hey i'll i'll tell you something that nobody knows okay you know you ever notice how like the funny guys in high school who were ugly but because they were funny they would go out with hot chicks mm -hmm. you know what i'm talking about right yeah why is that humor sells that is not why I'm, nobody knows this, and I'm sharing this with you. This is one of 10 things nobody knows. That's a segment that I'm happy to do on podcasts and radio interviews and other things. If you want that, hit me up at clintarthur.tv. The reason why ugly guys who are funny get hot chicks, despite the fact that they're ugly, is because humor is an indication of intelligence, and intelligence is an indication of one's ability to provide and women are looking for providers. And that's why hot chicks go out with ugly guys who are funny. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I say, you gotta learn how to make, you gotta learn how to make a lady laugh. It's one of the things my wife tells me all the time. She's like, I love to make me laugh. And I'm like, that's good. Cause you know, it's, <laughs> that's yeah, how you, well, uh... my wife says I'm funny. I'm like, stop looking at my face. <laughs> See, there you go. Uh, so I want to, I want to move on and talk about the flip side of your superpower, which is of course your fatal flaw, right? And just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw, something that's held, something that's held you back in your business, something you struggled with. For me, I struggled with a lot of, um, a lot of things, but you know, a couple of the big ones, I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, it kept me from shipping products. Cause I, I could always tweak it a little bit more before I brought it out to the market, um, which is a pretty low standard if you actually think about it. And um, the other one was lack of self-care, which really brought itself out in not having good boundaries with my time and, you know, work yourself to death um, and not having good boundaries with my clients, letting them walk all over you. Um, and so I think more important than what your flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so that our listeners might learn a little from your experience? Nice. That's great little tweak to that question. I was talking about it with some of my clients today because they're here for one of my titanium only masterminds. I have a different levels of coaching clients and here we are in Acapulco and they get to come and stay at our house, which is really a giant mansion that we found here for the purposes of being able to host our own seminars here and control our own destiny instead of having hotels and other venues shutting down due to various health requirements of local municipalities. In any case, my kryptonite is that my commitment to clear and powerful communication often has me saying things that people don't want to hear, that upsets them, that offends them, because I'll tell them right to their face, you just don't want to work because you're lazy, or you have something blocking you. And I, I've actually had one of my clients who's a psychiatrist give me a prepared statement where it says, look, my commitment is to your breakthrough. And I'm more committed to your breakthrough very often than you are to your own breakthroughs. But my commitment, and I'm so good at my job, I'll go as far as you need me to go. I'll go beyond where you're comfortable going. And a lot of times I'll go to the point where people will really get very uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes them 
lose control. But my commitment is to the breakthrough. So I say, if you can't go as far as I'm willing to go, then you need to say the safety word, which is 50 shades of gray. When I'm going beyond where you can comfortably go, just say 50 shades of gray and I'll stop because I understand that not everyone wants to break through as much as I am committed to helping you break through. People pay me a lot of money to be their coach and I do my best to give them everything I've got. That's my big superpower. And that little, that little story that I tell about this psychiatrist and, and the safety word, that's how I've been able to tone down my kryptonite because it, it's now your responsibility. If you don't want me to go that far, it's your responsibility to tell me to stop because my commitment is to be the best coach that I can be. Yeah, it's interesting. So the, um, the, the tendency to perhaps steamroll someone who's not ready to be steamrolled is, is the fatal flaw. And I, mean, I wouldn't call it steamroll. I would call it push because when, when you are feeling hatred or animosity towards me, that only means one thing, that it means you're approaching a barrier in your life. And my job as the coach is to help you to get over the barrier. I'm not a person that you hate. I'm your best friend. I'm the person who makes you a celebrity. I'm the person who helps you to see that the reason why you haven't been able to break through and do the calls and get the money that you need is because, for example, one of my students who's here right now, she felt guilty that her husband died and her becoming successful in her own right would mean that she's moved on in her life and she didn't want to betray him like that. She was able to come to that realization because I said, what the hell is stopping you from making these calls that you need to make? And she's like, I am so hating you right now, but I'm going to work on this. And when she got to the answer, then she could see, you don't hate Clint. You hate the fact that you're held up by a barrier and I'm the one who's making you face whatever fears, insecurities, and doubts that you are being held back by. But if you can push through, then you're going to get to the other side. Absolutely. Which I think actually makes a good transition into my next question, which is about your common enemy, which is about your clients, the people you work with. Right? And every superhero has an arch nemesis. It's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Um, but we like to put it in the context of the people that you're working with. And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to do battle with right, to help them overcome so they can actually get the results they came to you for. Um, and, you know, if you had your magic wand and you could just bop your new clients right on the head and not have to deal with that arch nemesis, that common enemy, what, what, was that, what is that common enemy in, in your business? Your questions are really intelligently constructed. You really do know what you're doing in, this, in these interviews. Because all of these things that you've been asking, I know exactly what the answers are, because I really know what I'm doing. And it takes someone who knows what they're doing to ask the right questions of a person who also knows what they're doing. The common enemy that experts, and that's mostly what I deal with, authors, speakers, coaches, advisors, consultants, anybody who's an expert and gets paid ostensibly for what they know or do, they're my clients. And the common enemy that we all face is who am I? Who am I to think that I could do this? Who am I to think that I could do that? Who am I to think that my book is worth $20 or in my case, $100? Mm -hmm. 
My books are a hundred bucks. When you go find Wisdom of the Men or Celebrity Entrepreneurship on Amazon, it's $99 for one copy. Who am I to think that my stuff is good enough? And I remember when I published what they teach you at the Wharton Business School, I literally looked over at the book and I had just quit smoking pot. And I quit smoking pot before I quit drinking alcohol. I quit smoking pot December 14, 2009. I went to a raw vegan retreat and one of their rules was no drugs or alcohol. So I quit both for the two weeks that I was there. And as soon as I got home, I cracked open a beautiful bottle of Chateau Gloria. That's a French Bordeaux wine that is delicious. You should write that down and give that a shot. Chateau Gloria. And cooked up a rack of lamb. But for my own luck, I had already quit smoking pot and I didn't start smoking pot anymore. And when I was coming to the end of December, I looked over the bookshelf and I saw with what they teach you at the Wharton Business School literally on a bookshelf collecting dust. And I said to myself, wow, I wrote a book about what they teach you at the best business school in the world. It's called What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School and nobody's buying it. If that book isn't good enough, I don't know what could possibly be good enough. See, luckily for me, when I was a little kid, I made up my mind, I was gonna go to the best business school in the world. Then I wrote a book about what I learned there. And I wrote it for my daughter who was 13. So I really did a great job because I wanted her to learn everything I had learned. And I realized all of that together, if that wasn't good enough, what could possibly be good enough? And that's when I called the publicist and started spending money, investing money in promoting the book so that I could sell books because that had to be good enough. And I remember when I got to the end of writing my life's work masterpiece, Wisdom of the Men. I was in Venice, Italy. I had been in intimidated by this book for seven years. I came up with the idea of writing Wisdom of the Men in 2014, right after I quit drinking alcohol, as a matter of fact. God bless it. And I was preparing to write this book and I would make lists of all the men that I had met who had learned me something smart. And I kept being intimidated by this book because I knew it needed to be so great. It had to be amazing because this was going to be my big book, like Frank McCourt's big book was his. And when I finished writing Wisdom of the Men in Venice, Italy, I went to Venice, Italy for two weeks so that I could be inspired by the architecture, the ingenuity, the genius of this city that rises up out of the ocean. When I finished writing that book, it was about seven o'clock in the morning on the 10th day of dictations. And I thought to myself, is that it? Is that all it is? Here I had put in stories of five presidents of the United States, Dr. Oz, Rolling Stone, Mick Jagger, military generals, Buzz Aldrin, Walked on the Moon, and Amazing Women, Martha Stewart, I, and Ice-T, and Oprah Winfrey, and Caitlyn Jenner, and all the, the most amazing people of the 20th and 21st century are all in this book. And I'm asking myself, is that it? Is that all there is? And I did, I was like 100% honest. I pulled no punches. And I told you, I get in trouble because I'm too direct. I was so completely direct in this book. 
and I was communicating on the highest possible levels. And I said to myself, is that it? And I thought to myself, well, look, thank God I did all of this. I, went, I pulled out every stop in creating this book. I said, if, if, if that's not enough, what could possibly be enough? That's the way you have to work in this life. I really do believe it. You have to give it every single thing you've got because the key problem that we all have as experts is not believing that we're good enough, not believing that our stuff is good enough. Yeah, imposter syndrome. So how do you help your clients answer that question? First, you have to know that that question is going to be coming. Second, you have to be the best professional that you can be and do the best job that you can do. And when the question comes along, you have to expect that it's going to be there. And you say, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the guy who met every major celebrity and five presidents of the United States and wrote the book as my 21st best-selling book and has been a writer for, my, for more than 40 years and did everything I could possibly do. I put everything that I had into the work and that has got to be good enough. And that's what you oh, that's, as a professional need to do. That's one of the things that I do with, uh, with my clients, people that, that come to me talking about the imposter syndrome. I was like, the imposter syndrome, first you have to realize is it comes up and it has two ways of going. Either it's true and then it's not the imposter syndrome because you're actually an imposter. You don't have the skills to back up what you say you do, in which case you need to develop the skills and you would need to do the work. You need to show up and actually put the time and effort in to be the expert you say you are. Yep. Or you need to look back on your body of work and answer the question with that body of work and be like, look, I've done this. I've been there. I've crossed the crocodile infested river many times. <laughs> um, and answer that question for yourself by seeing the body of work you have. Yeah. Be a real expert. Be a true subject matter expert. Do your best. I can't help you to be a better doctor, but by becoming a better communicator with my help, that will make you a better doctor. I can't teach you about medicine and how to operate on a, on a, on a leg, but communication I can help you with. And that, you know, it's been proven that better marketing actually makes for a better customer experience with Airbnb apartments or anything. Yeah, better yeah. marketing, the, uh, the more you enjoy it. One of the things that's interesting is um, I started a supplement company a number of years ago. Um, and we took products that were already existing and um, like that you could get from the manufacturer, you could buy directly from the manufacturer on Amazon. And like, so one of them was a probiotic. You could buy this probiotic for $7.65 on Amazon for a bottle of it. Um, and that bottle of probiotic is it's a good product. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great product actually um, from a great manufacturer, but because it's just manufacturer and they're not doing anything with their marketing, it's like just a white bottle says probiotic on it. Right. And then the bullet points is like probiotic at the end. Like that's it. There's no marketing. We took the same product and private labeled it and put good marketing behind it and good storytelling and what it was on it. And we charged $35 for the same bottle. I knew that was the right? price. Yeah. And people, people, uh, you know, bought a lot of it. Um, and it had and great got better results. It yeah. got better and results with it. Got better it results. It had, it had better reviews than the same product with the different label and the different marketing. 100% um, for the less price 100% and that's why as an author speaker coach entrepreneur expert of any kind consultant advisor you need to be perceived as a celebrity who can charge lots of money because that's how you're going to deliver 
better service to your clients and better results for your clients because when they pay more, they'll get better results. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I want to talk about the flip side of your common enemy, right? So if your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for, right? So the just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or you know Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, I want to know what it is that you fight for, your mission, so to speak. What is that? We are creating a community of celebrity entrepreneurs who are able to help their clients and change the world at the highest levels. That's what it's all about. Celebrities hang out with other celebrities and they learn from each other. And the people who are most excited to work with you because you're somebody special will be the ones who are willing to pay you the most amount of money and will get the best results. Yeah, it's a it's a impact. You're you're creating you're creating the environment for impact. One of my classes is called Impact, Influence, and Income Mastery. And I'll be teaching that one again here in Acapulco in April. You can find out about that at clint.com, C-L-I-N-T-T-T.com. Why three T's? One of my, one of my, my, my name is Clint Arthur with one T, but one of my clients is a name science expert. And she said to me, Clint, I wish you had another T at the end of Clint because the T's end all, always end up on top. And I said, hmm, another T. I tried to get Clint.com with two T's, but I couldn't get that. But I got Clint.com with three T's and it seems to be working out pretty good. That's an interesting thing. I never would have thought that. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to flip and talk about some practical things. Um, and I call this the uh, hero's tool belt. It's the practical portion of our show. And just like every superhero has a tool belt with awesome gadgets, like maybe batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes or a big magical hammer you can spin around and fly. I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar, to your marketing tools, to your um, something you use to actually deliver your products to your speeches. Um, anything you think is essential to getting your job done on a daily basis. You know, I live in Acapulco, Mexico. My laptop and my, so my MacBook Pro and my iPhone are essential to what I do. But those are devices. Those are hardly tools. Real tools are the tools of celebrity entrepreneurship. And the two key tools of celebrity entrepreneurship are going on TV news and talk show interviews on local and national shows. But local is almost as good as national really, especially if you can do a lot of them, like one of my students, Danny DeNovo, she's an expert at happiness and beating loneliness. She's done 85 television appearances in less than two years. Zoom has really opened up the possibilities for all celebrity entrepreneurs to maximize the power of television for your own career and your own impact, influence, and income. The other one that I love more than anything, and people say, what's the favorite, your favorite thing that you do in your work? And the work that I do, the real work that I do is the marketing of what I do and the marketing of me. That's my real work, marketing myself. And that's what real work for all experts should be is the marketing of who you are and what you do. Because writing stories and writing books and helping students to develop their own stories, that's the fun, that's like the hobby for me practically. The other thing that I love, love, love the work, the tool that I use in my marketing the most and love the most is celebrity photos, meeting giant celebrities, getting photos with them and creating stories about our 
experiences together. That's a tool like nothing else. Nothing can compare to photos and stories of you and experiences with major celebrities. Yeah, I, I had a guy on my podcast a while ago who was a, a movie producer. Um, and he said the uh, one of the most important things for the success of a movie was not the quality of the story, but whether or not you could get recognizables to agree to act the story out. <laughs> Ooh, it, you hear a friend say, oh man, I saw the greatest movie the other day. It was amazing. You never say, oh really, what was it about? You will always say, who's in it? That's the number one question for all entertainment. Who's in it? It's the recognizables, which I, had, I, I did not know that was a term until I had talked to a movie producer. But in Hollywood, recognizable means that the general populace knows that person's name or face. See, when I was working for Arnold Copelson as a production assistant on one of his movies with Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones, it was called Firebirds about the Apache attack helicopters. And we were in... Kyleen, Texas at Fort Hood military installation in a hangar. I was standing near the assistant directors who I was working for directly on the film. And he looks at me and he goes, you know something? You're even better looking than Nicolas Cage. And I said, so how come I'm not the star of this movie? And he said, because nobody would give me the money to make this movie, the millions of dollars, if it was starring you. And I didn't understand that, see? But people ask me all the time, do you resent chasing the Hollywood dream for 13 years and driving a taxi for six years? And I say, actually, no, because that was part of my process of understanding the most important thing in business, not just in, in Hollywood, but the most important thing in business and probably in life. When... Brooke Shields interviewed me on the Today Show. They could have hired a million graduates of the Columbia Journalism School who would have gladly done the job that Brooke Shields did. They could have paid them $1 and a million people would have jumped at that opportunity. But they paid Brooke Shields a lot of money instead. Why? Because of who she was. And I have graduated from the Wharton Business School. They don't teach you this at Wharton. I have spoken multiple times at events sponsored by the Entrepreneurship Students Club of Harvard Business School. I asked the, the president of that club, do they teach this at Harvard Business School? No, they don't teach it at Harvard Business School. I spoke at USC Business School at the Lloyd Grief Entrepreneurial Center there when my daughter was a junior at USC. I asked the professor whose class I spoke at, do they teach this subject or this message at USC? She said, no, no one ever has spoken about this at USC. Who you are is more important than what you do or sell. That's the Absolutely. most important thing in business. And I had to learn that the hard way by trying to become somebody in Hollywood where nobody wants to work with nobodies. They only want to work with somebody's. Yeah, it's interesting. I've noticed in my own career and my own business and the agency that I run in our circles because of the, um, the more I have worked with bigger names, the more I can close sales of other people in the space. Um, and they're like, oh, you've worked with so-and-so or you've worked with so-and-so. And that's the thing that gets people to say yes, more so than the quality of work I did for so-and-so. <laughs> that's a slightly different thing because those people are just, you know, influencers. They're like, you know, that's what's called social proof. 
Mm-hmm. And that's slightly different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is called celebrity attachment. And in my world, in my game, real celebrities are people who you don't have to explain who they are to anybody. The Oprahs, the Marthas, the George Clooney's, the Bill Clintons, the Hillary Clintons, those people, everybody knows who they are. Those are real celebrities. And that's what I'm talking about. Who, you know, who like that. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to the Hero Show. So I want to talk then about some of your own personal heroes. Right. So every hero has their mentors. Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had everyone, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. And I don't know who some of, you, who some of your heroes were. Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who were a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished over your career? Well, Frank McCord, Arnold Kobelson, Oprah Winfrey, Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy, it's fascinating. When I won Info Marketer of the Year for Dan Kennedy, that's when my real studying of his methodologies and philosophies really, really began. I mean, I, I had been doing and grasping through enough to be good enough to win. But once I won, then I really started studying him harder than anything. And I went to all, I went to conference, I chased that guy around the country, followed him around the country, heard him speak all over the place. And I really focused in on one thing that your number one job as an entrepreneur is to raise your status in the eyes of customers and prospects because who you are is more important than what you do or sell. And that's all I do. And that's been my main focus of everything, all of my marketing. I also heard Grant Cardone say something and I, you know, I, I spoke at a conference where Grant Cardone was another one of the speakers. And I said, Grant, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, entrepreneur's biggest problem is nobody knows who you are. And I said, what would you have done differently in your career? He said, I would have invested more money sooner in my marketing. And once I heard him say that, this was like 2013, 14, maybe. Every good piece of marketing that came along, I bought it. That's how I 
came to donate $25,000 to the Rolling Stones favorite charity. So I could meet the Rolling Stones and ask Mick Jagger, what's the most important thing you ever learned, sir? Mick, he said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you might find you get what you need. And I know a lot of people, I don't know. I mean, maybe you didn't come here to hear about wisdom of the men or learning about celebrity entrepreneurship. But if you're an author, speaker, coach, entrepreneur, expert, consultant, advisor of any kind, that's exactly what you need. And that's all I've been doing. And God bless Dan Kennedy for turning me on. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Um, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, get to the end here, I'm going to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live by in your life. Maybe something you wish you had known when you first started out way back in the Wharton Business School, principles that you live your life by. My main principles that I live my life by are work hard, show up, do your best, have fun. And accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. Those are the words of General George S. Patton, my favorite quote. Yeah, yeah. And I know one of the things that uh, I tell people all the time from one of my guiding principles is take the risk, right? similar to accept the challenge, but it's, it's the idea that, you know, we, we vacillate a lot on things that we know we should do. Um, and I found that all of my biggest breakthroughs and the biggest wins and the biggest joys have come from taking the risks that I was afraid of. Um, and fear, fear is a great thing that goes to two other things. What I said on the today show was life begins where your comfort zone ends. I really do mean that. And then Brooke Shields said, that sounds scary. And I said, when it's scary is when it's great. When we moved out of the hotel and into the first rented villa in Acapulco, I was so freaking scared. And then we walked in and it was paradise. And then when we were going to buy this huge mansion in Acapulco and I was writing the big check, it was scary. But it turned out to be the best thing we've ever done. When it's scary is when it's great, my brothers and sisters. Just to yeah, accept yeah. The challenges. It's like my, you know, I, I showed you earlier before we got on my, uh, I, you know, I'm in an RV studio, right? And um, it's one of those things when you're, talking your wife you and your wife talking like what if we sell everything we own and put our kids and our our life and our dog and our business in the back of a bus and travel the country for you know we're at five, five years coming up here in may um that we've been traveling around the country and you know that's scary but at the same time we've had some of the best experience of our lives i've grown my business five five times since we got on the road um and more and it's it's crazy that on the other side of fear and the other side of scary is where some of the best stuff that you'll ever do is when it's scary is when it's great. What about the couple? Did you hear about the couple? They were traveling the world from Australia. They sold everything they had so they could travel the world for 18 months. And they were in the Himalayan mountains when they heard about the pandemic and how the government of Australia said all citizens should return to Australia, just like the government of the United States said all citizens should return to the United States. When the United States government said that, that's when I started looking for the first villa to rent in Acapulco, when everybody was going back. These people were in the Himalayan mountains. They went back to Australia, where they had to be quarantined in a hotel at the airport for a month. And now look what's happened to Australia with all the lockdowns and the tyranny that's going on there. 
It's unbelievable. Crazy. Unbelievable. You got to also be smart. And in this day and age, you want to live your life, you need to be a very discerning consumer of information. And um, a very discerning uh, choice for citizenship or location. <laughs> I'm with you. Definitely. Oh, man, that's a, a wrap for our interview. I think it's a good place to stop. But <laughs> I do, I do finish every interview with a simple challenge. I call it the hero's challenge. And I do this to help get access to stories that I might not otherwise find on my own. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why should they come share their story here on the hero show? The first person that comes to mind for you. Dr. Amy. And why should Dr. Amy come share her story here? Because she is a doctor who is becoming a celebrity entrepreneur and is very committed and has a very pure love of helping people. And, you know, it all began with her love of babies. Babies are cool. I've got four of them. So See, I don't got to tell you. I'll hook her up with you. Yeah, we'll do uh, see if we can get an introduction after the show. Um, but in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So as we close, what I want to do is where can people get your help in the future? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, um, and say, hey, Clint, where can I get your help? And more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to actually reach out and ask for your help? If you are an author, a speaker, a coach, an entrepreneur, an expert, a consultant, advisor of any time, anybody who gets paid for who you are or what you know or do, then you should come and let Clint be your new BFF and go to Clint with three T's.com. C-L-I-N-T-T-T.com because the T's end up on top and I told you why. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on this show today, Clint. It's been fascinating to hear your story. Um, and hear about the power of celebrity entrepreneurship. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience for hit this uh, stop record button? You can do it. Awesome. Thank you very much, Clint. Appreciate your time. Clint.